Hello and welcome to Bad Songwriter Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Holmquist. We're here today with Jishnu Guha. Hi, how are you? Hello. <laughs> I'm so good. I'm so happy to hear your voice and see your face on a Zoom call. Yeah, it's or, so nice. Yeah. Um, Jishnu and I went to college together and did music together many years ago now. <laughs> yeah. I feel very old. Um, so yeah, we, we have a distant, well, and not so distant musical history. We also wrote a song together um, from our respective countries, uh, which this was a while true. ago. Oh, <laughs> oh I, uh, yeah, you're, ta- you're talking about the one that was actually released. Yeah, I was thinking, yeah. I thought you meant the ones that we attempted to write and I was going to follow well. up with, which one are you referring to? Because we tried, we tried a lot, not for very long, but we tried. Not for very long. Yeah, we had yeah. a... But it was fun. Short-lived band. Yeah. Do you remember what it was called? Uh, that's a great question. What was it called? Two words, four letters each. This is not oh, Jeopardy now. Poet Riot. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> talk about it. Talk about embarrassing. <laughs> oh, I. Th- I don't know I who came like up with that. I'm gonna. I I'm don't gonna claim ignorance and say. I don't. Me. I feel like it wasn't me either. Let's blame it on Joey. <laughs> um that's fair that's fair yeah i feel like it was a long process of trying to name that band that ultimately played like one show Um, which i also wasn't there for i know i (laughs) yeah i I wasn't i I was in england at the time and right it was for like spring day or something it was yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) i I saw photos i I know it happened that's all i saw Uh, well, let's let's go back even further in time now to before Uh-oh. that. We'll we'll, we'll get to that. We'll talk about that more. But I'd love to hear yeah. about when when you started writing songs. Technically, I would say I didn't really have a song finished until I was maybe fourteen or fifteen, uh, when I was in my first like quote unquote real band that actually played gigs. But I've been playing guitar since I was like eight. Yeah, eight or nine years old. But I, yeah, I, I didn't meet like-minded musicians or really any musicians for a good couple of years. I probably only started writing yeah, by the time that band formed, which was called the SOS. And it was just like a high school band. And being in India, you know, I'm, I'm sure most of your listeners wouldn't really know much about the Indian music scene. So just to set the stage a little bit, it's very, very unlike anything that I've been made aware of in the West, be it the United States or Europe or anything like that. And especially at the time, pre-social media, getting the word out that you even existed was near impossible because there was no market to sell to. So you wouldn't even know who to tell. So the few gigs that you would get, ironically, if you were able to get just like a a decent handful of people from school together uh, to tell a rather handful of people at school that you could tell about the show, it wouldn't be very hard to have an impressive turnout at a show. The gigs were so few and far between that it was like a, a major event, which is kind of cool to think about, but it also probably meant, actually, I know it meant uh, a very, very slow learning curve at getting better at writing songs. Yeah. So most of the songs that we did, actually, the like I want to say 95% of songs that I played would have been covers because that's what people wanted. If you were going to be playing uh, English music in India in the mid-2000s, it better be from some like classic rock band or like some vaguely familiar, you know, 
rock band that was relevant at the time or whatever. And maybe if you were good enough, you could sneak in one or two originals. Nobody asked for it, which is why we were that. That's why I was so slow to do it. What sort of places did you play? Was it music venues or no? They didn't random exist. random spots. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty random. I mean, like actively, I could say I've been a musician, quote unquote, for ten, fifteen years. But I've only really played at like less than a dozen traditional music venues. Most of them are still, you know, your bars and whatnot, or like some sort of big room where they just do a makeshift stage somewhere in the corner. And that's not to say that, like, they don't turn out well. That's not to say that you can't have a right. good show in a weird, unorthodox venue. But infrastructurally in India, it's very, very different. We do not have the social norm of, like, going out on the weekend and making a thing of, what are you doing tonight? I'm going to go see a show. At the time, especially when we just started, the biggest get was playing the Hard Rock Cafe which hell was yeah. <laughs> bizarre as all hell because it was like only when by the time we got to play the the hard rock it was maybe three or four uh months into its existence we were playing at this brand new fancy pants hoity-toity it was a very like almost fine dining kind of a restaurant it was very <laughs> weird like they just didn't know what the hell they were doing and like they built a stage that was a floating stage above the bar it was literally like like a balcony what? that was built above the bar so it's a giant like maybe a hundred foot tall you know warehouse the the floor area is this very ornate elaborate restaurant with the usual paraphernalia on the walls which is compressive and maybe half of them are knockoffs we don't know but then above the bar is a is a huge stage that's and so weird it just yeah like we were looking down at the at the audience and i was just like <laughs> this is just i'm looking at my pedals and the crowd you know what i mean it's like normally yeah. i i'm looking at my pedals because i don't want to look at the crowd right or something like that and this was the opposite if i look up i'm looking straight into like steven tyler's freaking <laughs> sequence jumpsuit or something i don't know what it was yeah it was very weird that's so strange i played the hard rock cafe in chicago one time like at, i feel like it was five or six p.m like well tourist families were like eating dinner it was very weird <laughs> yeah <laughs> i have i've never been to a hard rock anywhere else because i you know once i've done that i think i've i'm good yeah no good right i think one time is enough <laughs> yeah but w was yours like a real would you call it a, a like a real stage or was it just one of those sort of makeshift it was we'll it was a real stage. A... It was a okay. real stage. Yeah, okay. um, it was just a weird vibe, which it okay. sounds yeah. like yours was a weird vibe. Yeah, because like because when we heard that the thing was coming, we thought, oh, this will be that's cool because right. I mean that it's something at least it's better than the very 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 little that we have already. This is obviously I'm talking like 15 years ago. Right, things have significantly improved, but um, I was just never sure if like that's a normal thing that the hard rock does. You tell me, did your Hard Rock Cafe also have people, uh, the waiters jumping up and singing the YMCA at midnight? No. <laughs> yeah, that's, that was a thing. That's like so in between sets. So we would have to play like a 30, 35 song set of, you know, 90% covers. And so we would have to take a break in the middle because we'd be playing for basically two and a half, three hours. Yeah. So at about an hour 15, we'd take a break, mainly so that the waiters could do their mandated. <laughs> YMCA dance, which Aww. to be fair, on a gig night when the place has a good couple hundred people in there all looking to have a good time, most of whom are drunk, the sight of that, I'm not going to say make people happy, but like stir up some 
excitement for right. better or for worse you know it's gonna right. it's gonna mix things up so <laughs> cringy as it was i think they did exactly what they set out to do when they did that so i, I don't know if that was an us thing or if that was a, you know yeah that's so good <laughs> company-wide so <laughs> company-wide mandate all right well you have some old embarrassing tracks to share with us today as so exactly so we should get into those uh which one do you mm-hmm. want to listen to first i guess we'll go in order so let's start with slappy which cool. just sounds funny to say because i haven't said the name in <laughs> <laughs> in a while years 15 years yeah what was that band called uh the band was called the sos originally it was called social suicide and we would have kept that name it totally ill-fitting didn't have any like <laughs> nobody in my band was anywhere remotely hardcore enough to befit that name but uh just to give you an example again of the random ass places we played the very first gig we ever played was at an all-girls college which <laughs> should be a fun fun thing for like a band of like four high school guys that mm-hmm. should be a pretty fun get like hey that's your first gig that's pretty cool but it was also a school run by nuns so we played as like the headliner at the end of their like talent show evening kind of a thing we're backstage in the green room getting ready to go on and then somebody comes out and is like hey so i'm gonna announce the band what's it called again we're like social suicide and they're like (laughs) oh no 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 sister mary clarence whatever her name is wouldn't wouldn't approve and so they just went out and said this band is called the sos and we're like you know, that's actually better. We'll, we'll stick with that. <laughs> Anything you want to say about this track before we give it a listen? The only thing I can recall is the reason that it's called Slappy is because as you do, I guess, when you're 15 and dumb and just trying to figure out new shit on the guitar is that I was playing it. I was playing my guitar by like slapping the strings with my thumb. And then that became the riff. It's not like the worst song in the world that I've written I'm sure I've definitely written worse songs but the reason I picked it was because when I was digging through my old folders I found it and the thing that's really interesting is that it never had lyrics it never really had anything finished we never quite finished the song but we did try to record it quote-unquote properly with whatever little resources we had so when you hear it you'll hear that it sounds like it's a weird like syncopated kind of a time signature which is totally not the case it's actually the fact that we were recording with wavepad on my compact presario so we didn't have like sound cards or anything so we took like the guitar cable out of the processor into a quarter inch to eighth inch jack plugged it into like the red mic input not to be confused with the green <laughs> headphone output on my cpu <laughs> And because all we were using was like WavePad and Fruity Loops and stuff, and nobody in the band had any idea about anything to do with recording, there was a horrible latency. (laughs) And we didn't know the word latency. Like, it wasn't in our vocabulary. So when we were recording, I was just like, wow, this is really hard to do because there's like a good solid, like more than half a second lag to what I'm playing (laughs) and what you're hearing. And that is the song now. We didn't realize how much of a train wreck it was when we were recording it. We just thought like, oh, I guess I just have to get better, which is true. I had to get better, but I was also just doing it wrong. <laughs> and therefore, right. it was recording at, like, at complete shit. And I just assumed, oh, it's shit now. I'll get better. It's like, yeah, you'll only get so much better. You also got to learn how to actually do the thing correctly. So you'll notice now it's fine because this is programmed bass, programmed 
drums on Fruity Loops. And now... It's like... Just a hair behind? Yeah. Let's, let's completely ignore, you know, horrendous stone and all of that. <laughs> it's just... Consistently, everything oh, yeah. off for the guitars. Everything is just behind. Oh my god, so what what amazes me is, I'm gonna turn this down really low, <laughs> I'm just gonna mute it. What amazes me is that I was able to actually do the entire thing. Well, that's what I was gonna say. I feel like I would have just, like, given up, thrown, know, thrown like, everything out the window in a rage or something. We were both that naive and that dumb, I guess, to think that, like, you know, uh, it's cool. Just like, just, just, just power, power through it. And then I, I, I mean, we never released this. I don't That's think what any I humans ever heard this. No humans Until now. ever heard this. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, like, I know that we had like some vocals and stuff, and we had tried fleshing the song out. But I guess probably once this was done and we heard, oh, once we heard the. Uh, <laughs> Once we heard the, the finished demo, quote-unquote, we were just like, well, that was a thing. How about we move on? Yeah, <laughs> there's no, no, nowhere to go but up from here. So let's Yeah, sometimes you just got to do that. Record the thing and you're like, okay, well, I don't need yeah. to do anything with that now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I got, got out that my, out of my system. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, it was literally like the whole band was also... Everybody was a complete amateur. I mean, which is most high school bands. But it was like the our drummer, um, who's now like one of the most decorated drummers in in the, in the scene, as far as I know, over here. He's, he's still my drummer. Um, mm-hmm. At the time, he had just picked up drums, like maybe a couple of months at most, a year before the fact. But he was holding his sticks like he would hold a pen. Like literally, like because <laughs> he, he didn't have we didn't know what right. we were doing, so like we knew it looked a little odd, but we were like, "That's cool, that's your thing." Yeah. Right, and right. He did it until he stopped doing it, and then he somehow magically got exponentially better um, when he played like a real person. But same deal, like the bass player was actually playing guitar for the longest time, and then we were like, "We don't need that many guitar players," and I've been playing for longer, so you might as well swap and he's like yeah that's cool i'll play bass and how he's one of the most in-demand uh, bass players in the scene over that's here. how it happens that's how it happens yeah but you have to record this kind of malarkey oh to, absolutely to, to get there so. <laughs> oh my god what is happening <laughs> what is what is how did i get that Oh, we also, this is again like a... Solely because of our limited resources and us having to like think quote-unquote creatively, um, we still don't have too much, um, too many options to choose from when it comes to getting gear. Like, it's still very much... A thing like when you hear about somebody going to the states or going to Europe mm-hmm. for work or vacation or whatever, it's like, hey, how much do I have to pay you to be my mule to bring me back some outboard gear or something? Like that? Because like we have a little bit, but 
back then in 2004 or 5 whenever this was recorded we had quite literally nothing yeah. so all i had was a digitech rp100 processor which had like 100 different patches that was my arsenal for about 4 or 5 years and that is all i had to play with and like we didn't understand there was nobody to like to teach us any kind of nuance when it came to like right crafting tones or like the recording techniques and all that what not like that was all you know trial by fire kind of stuff right that i mean it just takes time to to like develop your ear for that kind of stuff and and like understand what it is that like you like and what you're looking for mm-hmm. i mean i still feel like I mean I have I have a much better sense of it but it's, sometimes I'm still like what like what is the tone that I'm going for like what is it? Mm-hmm. you know like learning how to songwrite is like its own separate thing and like h- how to like craft that and and be subtle in ways in that and then like the the gear and recording thing is like a whole separate beast I still feel like at 30 years old that I'm just like really getting into gear mm-hmm. honestly um You know, I have a few things that I like, but it's still I I'm just beginning my pedal journey. I haven't Ooh. really gotten into pedals. I have this Boss Harmonist pedal that I've been enjoying. I've been recording some stuff with that. Using for vocal or for uh So, I've used it for vocals in the past, which is fun. Okay. I need to get uh-huh. more of a setup um sure. to record it, but I've I've been using it for guitar lately. It makes some fun space noises when you want it to. So, there you go. <laughs> When I met you I was definitely at peak pedal phase. Like I had two rigs between college in Beloit, Wisconsin and back home in Bombay and whenever I'd travel back and forth for like summer breaks and stuff I would always my biggest plight in a 36 hour journey between Chicago and Bombay was which pedals am I going to bring? What am I leaving? I'm gone for 3 weeks. Can I really survive without an OS2 <laughs> overdrive? What will I do? And I was also like I was for no good reason just because like I was treating it all like a fucking security blanket. Uh I mean like taking with me I was bringing back like these giant heavy ass condenser mics pretending like the muse is going to strike and I'm going to write fucking bohemian rhapsody between my sophomore and junior year summer break. Now I've released, you know, 3 Three. Yeah, three records. I'm in the middle of recording my fourth one and I've been doing it regularly since 2016. I put out three albums since then. Now I can, you know, say that I'm a legitimate professional because I'm doing it with certainty and with regularity and I'm really enjoying it and I'm I'm surrounded by I'm blessed to be surrounded by people that really know what they're doing. But I'm I've somehow gone back to square one and I'm like working with as much limitation as I possibly can with every song that I have. I mean especially now lockdown for sure. But like even before then I always really enjoyed creating a box for myself to work within because I think I got it out of my system in my early 20s of just like, you know, being spoiled with so many things to choose from being like, "Ooh, what does this button do?" and "Ooh, and I can add that." And it's like, "Yeah, but why?" And right. so now I'm really enjoying like, "Okay, I have this color and I have this paintbrush. What can I do with that?" Yeah, I've just found that a lot more fulfill- fulfilling, which is why like for the first, I guess, 15 years of my being a guitar player and first, I guess, 7 years of writing songs, I have little to show for it. Yeah, I think it can be really fun to like to give yourself a challenge or or limit yourself in terms of what you're making or give yourself 
like rules for creation. This week I've been, I've had the week off of work and I've been making an EP in seven days for this Mm -hmm. podcast called Weekly EP, which I'm going to be on coming up. Um, But yeah, they have each musician just create, like write and record a full EP in seven days, whatever happens. And that's been really fun. I love I love having those sort of like limitations like, okay, what is the thing that I can create in seven days that I'm recording myself? Like, what's that going to look like? And what, you know, what's reasonable for me to do, you know, and like learn learning that too. like, okay, you know, obviously, I'm not going to do like a fully produced song with drums, bass, whatever in seven days, because like, that's just not my capability. And nor does it need to be like that. It's not going to be, you know, as good as like me writing a song with some guitar and maybe some space noises, you know? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I love, I love that kind of thing. Okay, you have one more song to listen to here? This is a lot more recent. I honestly don't know. The title is 247. I have no idea what that is. This is one of the hundreds, maybe, maybe somewhere in the north, maybe like around 500 odd different voice memos that I have between like three different phones over the years. Do you do that? I'm, I'm still very actively doing that kind of stuff. Oh, like, yeah. Before I had my iPhone, like there were so many things that I would just forget. Um, I actually, I just recently found an SD card from this weird little like tripod shitty video recorder thing that Mm -hmm. I used to record videos of myself writing songs right when I first started learning how to play guitar. Oh, I saw, yeah, I saw a post of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember that hair. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, 20-year-old me hair. I used that to get some ideas down. But before that and before having the iPhone, like, you know, there was so much stuff I would think up that I just wouldn't remember. So I really got in the habit now of just recording every little stupid idea that I have. Most of them are stupid and like nothing, you know, but a a lot of them, I'm very glad I have it. And when I'm feeling uninspired, I can scroll back through my voice notes and be like, what's something I forgot about? What's something that I can use as a jumping off point for a song? I mean, it's a double-edged sword a little bit because like with this song, for example, like you contacted me a couple of months ago about this thing. And so at the time, for whatever reason, 247 stood out to me. We're about to hear it. I have no memory what, of what the song sounds like. So you're going <laughs> to find out live. But I guess there was something to it, which is kind of the point. So... Oh, so, okay, I I just found the um, recorded date. This is from 2015, um, which is about a year before I released my first EP. Mm -hmm. And so that would probably mean that I was on a big binge and like a trip off um, the more acoustic-y singer-songwriter stuff, as you can hear. And that's something I've held on to very strongly, especially now in COVID, like I'm very much just honing my acoustic playing chops and writing on acoustic guitar and um that has really like shaped my overall aesthetic i suppose everything begins for me for the majority on an acoustic Mm -hmm. guitar because now my band has expanded to like a seven piece in on some of the new material an eight piece thing because we now have a horn player but um it all starts and is centered on the acoustic guitar and I guess that comes a little bit from like a sort of Paul Simon school of thought of like, you know, play it on that, but then later try and arrange it for something bigger. This sounds like something that would have been 
a viable candidate for my first EP, which was because it was my first EP, I didn't want to like overshoot. So that first EP is just a three piece with a bit of piano on a few songs. Um, no idea what that mumbling is, but okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, like uh, it, it was always something that I had projected just because of how I usually work with things. I like to um, have reasonable goals that I aspire for as opposed to like shoot for the moon every single time. Um, so each album I've released has gotten exponentially bigger with production value. And this kind of playing, if I can wager a guess as to what I was thinking as to why I didn't pursue this song, um, it's like, it's a bunch of noodling, which is like, yeah, okay, it's, it's not bad. I mean, like there's, it's, it's decent noodling, but it's clearly just random noodling. Right? Yeah. And I, I think I, I knew even back then that like, I can noodle because I was always like a lead guitar player in my high school band and stuff. But like, if I want to be a songwriter, I have to be able to identify superfluous bullshit and be able to ident identify. With the expectation running best I left it all to chance. Wait, I've never interrupted myself. <laughs> First time for everything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I guess I was just like hyper aware of the fact that like, I can, I can, I can kill time on the guitar easy enough. If you give me like a progression to just like, you know, do whatever blah blah on top of, I can right. do that. I would like to think now I can do some pretty good blah blah that's a little better than just blah and it's actually something nice. But this kind of stuff is actually, to be honest, the kind of stuff that I'm doing now with a lot more confidence. But it took me like 20 songs to get there. Right. 20 released songs, which probably is more like... 200 songs yeah, that's what you i was gonna I mean? say 200 yeah, yeah that's that feels yeah. right <laughs> yeah so this i think i'm talking a little bit out of my ass but i think it's an educated guess to say that like this kind of stuff um i knew i was capable of doing but i was also aware that like i wasn't capable of nailing so if you hear like that the first dp it's a lot more straightforward a lot more like you know simpler to the point kind of stuff because it was a th you know just for drums bass and guitar and no more no less and this kind of stuff now i would imagine i would try and expand a lot more because it's pretty complex and there's a whole lot more chords moving in and out of it and all that and that's a motorcycle was yeah. it you or was that yes that was that was that was me that was oh, okay me. I, I, was like, I live on i live on a pretty busy street <laughs> so i get a lot of traffic noise not so much in my recording but definitely in <laughs> in the in the uh, uh laptop mic well i i know that pain because my second ep which was recorded at home is filled with train noise which i'm surprised yeah. is not on this because the apartment that I was at when I was recording that second EP was over, like, right above a train station, which was also a train uh, service station. So, mm. like, even when trains shut at, at like one in the morning between one a.m. and five a.m., I would the sound would be replaced from chicka 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 to like. <laughs> so that is all over my second album. Sounds great. I've embraced it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the nice thing about having my SM58s here is that they 
you know, don't pick up a ton of that, like, room noise and outside noise, unless it's a really loud siren or something like that. So thank goodness for that. Thank goodness for mics that don't pick up every little noise sometimes. <laughs> there is such a thing as do good. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't do. need that. How would you say that your songwriting process has changed over the years? All I can tell you is that my response to that question changes because I think I just understand it better or rather I'm able to articulate it a little bit better every time but I really do feel like it's the same process it's in that it's as unrefined and as undignified as it's always been which is just brush to canvas and you know tilt my head a little bit more to this side a little bit more to that side but it's still the same thing at the end of the day shooting from the hip for sure I don't um write with much agenda ever really i've experimented i've had phases where like i've tried deliberately just doing lyrics in some sort of you know poetic verse type of uh format knowing that it is fodder for a song down the line but you know try i tried writing lyrics without any melody in mind or without any kind of meter or rhythm or whatever but just some like couplings and things like that a lot of times those will get forgotten and put aside and then years later I'll open up one of my many little black books and be like, "Oh, I have no clue what that was about, but they they seem to work well with this melody that I have." And I'll try that for like a couple of months and then when I get tired of doing that, either because I I'm not going anywhere or because for a completely unrelated reason, I want to mix things up again. I will now try writing with an electric guitar really loud, turned up and just hit record and commit to whatever without any do-overs and things like that and it's a hodgepodge yeah i i don't th- i don't think i can like honestly give you an answer to that question if you ask me like for any of my releases you know how did you write this album i wouldn't have the same answer for every song every song mm-hmm. would be a pretty different thing and it's so all over the place and each thing takes so many years to happen uh but then there are some songs that i know for a fact were written in like one sitting yeah and it's not because i chose to do that like each one has its own story that's a little bit unique and a little bit different and like in one instance i have a song from the very first album which we were going in for the very final day of tracking the studio the night before i was just sitting with the guitar doing whatever and then played a new thing and i had a bunch of lyrics in a book and i looked at it i was like oh this goes well with that i show up to the studio the next day with my producer and i played him that thing and he said why don't you put that one out i kind of like that better than the thing we were going to do today which was also just a single voice and acoustic song you know mm. and i said sure and we did it we put it down and then boom it's done and that probably would have been elaborated on if we hadn't run out of studio time i didn't intend for it to be that way but it just fell into place that way and then i have a song on my very latest album which came out or yeah about a year just over a year ago i have a song that's about 11 years old i might have actually do you i don't know if you'd remember it's called down to the next one i we might have even played it in Beloit. I vaguely recall playing it to our friend Steve, which means I probably played it to you. Yeah. I don't know if you remember. It's familiar. I'll have to listen back. It sounds familiar. Yeah. That's funny. But yeah, so I mean and you know, that's not to say that like it took me 10 years to finish this amazing right. thing and like it's going to sound like it took that long. It just life happened and it just took me that long and I could have put it on the first album. In fact, no, shit. That was literally the song that was going to be on the first album that got replaced at the last minute. 
That's yes, wild. Yes, it, it absolutely was. Yeah, it absolutely was. And so I could have easily put it on the second album, but I got more excited by the newer songs, which made it to the second album. And then the third album came around and I dusted that old song off. And obviously it changed because I've changed since who I was back in 09 or 010, whenever I first wrote it. And so it's adapted. That was a very long ramble to tell you I don't have a clue. All I know is that... <laughs> my ramble changes over the years but that doesn't necessarily mean anything else does yeah no it makes sense to me i mean it's this you know it's the same sort of thing i put songs together in different ways and like obviously working with other people changes things and working with a full band because i have a six-piece band now too or it's like you know between five and six pieces and so it's like it's not it's not that i guess so much my writing process changes i mean because i'm Mm -hmm. still you know sometimes sitting down writing a full song sometimes like messing around with different ideas for a while but then it's then it's a process of like okay what am I taking to the full band okay which songs even make sense with a full band because some of the stuff Mm -hmm. I write is still just like it doesn't really need much more I have a cellist in my band and so sometimes some of those songs are really more ones that we play together as like a duo set so it'll make Mm -hmm. sense with me and Caitlin playing cello and doing some harmonies whatever but it's not going to make sense with like drums bass you know this is the same The same cellist that played on the song that we did, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. We've been making music together now for for a while. (laughs) I've heard other people talk about it, too. Not so much as a process that has changed, like, sort of internally. Um, Mm -hmm. It's more about what happens externally in terms of refinement. And, like, okay, what are you releasing into the world? What's your process for, like, you know, putting putting a song together? Like, your selection process gets gets longer, you know? Like, you're not just putting out whatever into the world. You're saying, okay, I wrote this thing, but, like, maybe nobody needs to hear it. Or I wrote this thing, but, like, it doesn't really work with the rest of the songs for this album. Or it doesn't really work with the full band or, you know, whatever. I'm a big subscriber to the art is not finished. It's just abandoned. Kind of yeah, thing. totally. I mean, that's that's how I feel about it, too. It's like, okay, you know, I could sit here and agonize over this song and this recording for like 10 years if I wanted to. Um, but yeah. you just have to <laughs> at some point be like, this is done for now in this form. Yeah. And here is the yeah. album and I've released it, you know, move on to the next thing. Joni Mitchell had a great line, which I keep thinking about, which I've been thinking about a lot lately. You know, performing artists have a very different have a very different life and relationship with their art than, I guess, for lack of a better word, like a passive artist, like a painter. Mm-hmm. Um, because nobody ever tells Van Gogh, hey, paint Starry Night again, dude. <laughs> when you paint true. it, you paint, you paint the painting and then it's done. And if you're really lucky, somebody buys it. If you're really lucky, somebody else buys it. But most of the time, the painting is done. People come by, they look at it, and then it collects dust and it, you know, lives on a wall or maybe in the back of a closet somewhere, whatever it is. Right. But with a, with a performing artist, acting, dancing, music, whatever it is, yeah, you have the released product. But, like, people are still walking up to James Earl Jones and being like, say the words you deliberately disobeyed me again. Yeah, right. And he's like, no, dude, I did it the one time. They paid me a lot of money. How much are you paying me to do it now? I'm at the point now, like, where... When I play, well, when we were playing live shows, uh, I was really excited at the notion of, um, quote unquote, updating some of my songs just to keep my older material sort of more cohesive with the newer stuff. As albums, I like how disparate they are because they are markers for my own life. Like, this is how I sounded back then. This is how I sound now. And it's different intentionally and by design. But when it comes to a set 
I would like if there's a bit more of a clear through line. So let me right. throw in five more instruments onto the song, which when I recorded it only had two instruments or three instruments. And so technically yeah. I'm still writing the song, aren't I? Because I, it's my song. So I guess I, I'm allowed to do it. It's not a cover. So technically I'm still rearranging it. And uh, that's both a pain in the ass and very invigorating. Yeah, I think it's one of one of my favorite things about, you know, performing live. And I mean, I like a lot of things about it. And I miss it someday mm-hmm. again. Yeah, I mean, even just with my songs, you know, writing them and playing them solo and then figuring out an arrangement with me and Caitlin on cello and then figuring out arrangement with the full band, you know, it changes, um, yeah. obviously. Uh, and being able to like sing it and play it in different ways and reimagine the song depending on who I'm playing it with and what setting I'm playing it in is really fun. Um, yeah. So like, you know, there's the recorded versions of it, but then it's like I get to mess around with it and, and change it up uh, yeah. every, every time, basically. That's yeah. fun. I used to be very, very one-track mind with that first album of making damn sure that I don't record anything that I'm not able to duplicate live. And then slowly but surely, those walls came crashing down. Yeah. And I didn't see it as a letdown to an audience if you weren't getting what you thought you were buying when you, when you bought a ticket. Like, oh, he, he plays that stuff and mm-hmm. you don't get to hear exactly that. It is intentionally going to be a different thing because A, my resources are such, and right. B, I'm just thinking of it as a new creative project, challenge, whatever to tackle. Uh, what are some things you've been listening to lately that you've been liking? Uh, a couple of years ago, I stumbled on this uh, band from England called Flight, uh, F-L-Y-T-E. And uh, I don't say this lightly. I absolutely revere them i bring them up to everybody that is willing to listen i genuinely think that these guys are like the next beatles they definitely sound very similar they come from that school of songwriting Mm -hmm. uh they were a four-piece now a three-piece they have one album out and a handful of singles so i couldn't recommend them enough they're very much in the super duper nuanced harmony kind of a thing every song has four-part harmonies because they all sing and it's just guitars, bass, and drums and keys. Uh, they collaborate with the with the girls from the Staves. I don't know if you're, are you familiar with them. Mm-mm. The Staves are a, they're a female, super vocal-driven folk band. Uh, also very successful from England. So I've been listening to them. And then, honestly, a lot of stuff that... Um, I'm a huge nerd. I actually have... A, here's a random shameless plug. I run a nerd company called Geek Fruit and... We have a podcast as well, and we love talking about nerd things and, you know, the, the usual. It wouldn't surprise you to see what we talk about, you know, Star Wars and other various wars in the stars. One of my favorite resources is looking up James Gunn, who is the director of Guardians of the Galaxy, following him on Spotify, because he has some amazing playlists of um, the songs that he was considering for those movies, which never made it. So he has these giant playlists of like 100 plus songs, which are basically hits and some not so hits from pre-1980, like the 60s, 70s kind of stuff. And there's some amazing gems in there. They're like, there's some of the, you know, more well-known stuff from like Mm -hmm. Joan Jett and Bowie and whatnot. But then like you'll get some real solid gold. Like, are you familiar with uh, Andrew Gold, for instance? No. 
he was a one-hit wonder from the 70s like you hear a bunch of guys on on this on these albums that he's put out on his spotify if you just follow james gunn on spotify you'll find a lot of stuff that the minute you hear it you can you immediately think to yourself like this is totally in a movie and it's just like it's it's one of those kind of like just classic movie music but like from way back when that sounds that's nice my, been, that's been my jam for the last three four months really well thank you so much for being on the podcast anytime uh and thank you everybody for listening Providence Bye. till we meet again i'll be waiting at the bar hey thanks for listening you can find Jishnu, aka Short Rounds Music, on the internet everywhere you find music. And you can find us on Instagram at Bad Songwriter and on Twitter at Bad underscore Songwriter. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd love it if you could rate, review, subscribe, follow, share it with a friend, share it on social media. These things help us out a lot. If you are a songwriter who has material for the podcast and you're interested in being on it, please send me an email at badsongwriterpod at gmail.com. All right, have a great week. Stay cozy out there. Bye. The more you see, the less you know. It's good to know there's room for growth.